Hey good people, this is your N.I. Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So hey, um, it's a Saturday morning. It's about 4 a.m. Not quite 4, but close to 4. And I've been up since about 2. Um, I would love to just say I've been in my head thinking... That's kind of true, but I've also been on TikTok. <laughs> this morning, I had to kick myself off twice. It's just so alluring. It just pulls you in. So much there to contemplate. But anywho, so I'm up thinking about my week. I had a really intense week with the training on trauma. I went through trauma sensitivity training. So there was a lot there for me. And... Uh, there was a, a little bit there professionally in terms of my work, but a lot personally. And so I think I'm dealing with that. And then um, I'm mainly dealing with that. And then there's a book that I have read twice. I didn't read it. I listened to it. It's an audio book. I was thinking last night I should probably go get the written, the book, the text, the hardcover. Because I, I'm now at the, I might be on my, I, I'm on my third time through listening to it. I started it last night. And, um, it was too much for me to process. And this is some, this is a book I've consumed already twice. And so I'm intrigued by that. I'm intrigued why this third time feels a bit much. And I'm only, I could only assume that it's about what I, who I am today. Taking in that content in terms of who I am today as opposed to when I first took it in. I first read that book. It had to be 2015 or 2016. And then I took it in again in 2018. And so now it's 2021. And and um, it was really hard. I mean, I, it was really... I'm going to tell you the title in a minute. It was really, really hard last night as I was listening to it. I mean, really difficult. So I'm up this morning thinking a little... I'm, I'm thinking about that. So I'm thinking about the book and I'm thinking about the training. And I feel like those two pieces of content might be coming together for me in an important way. I don't know that. For sure, but well, let me say this: I'm wondering. I also listened to a sermon yesterday, yesterday morning, and I don't usually do that. I used to always do it, but because I'm not in that religious paradigm anymore, I'm not living a religious life. I don't. I don't. Now I'll go through seasons when I listen to church music or listen to sermons but I haven't been in a season in a long time so I took in a sermon yesterday and then for me to read the book which has a spiritual undertone so I'm pretty sure something is going on and I'm not 100% sure so um, I'm going to tell you the name of the book on the other side of the disclaimers and I'm not sure if I'm going to talk about the book or if I'm going to talk about the training or if I'm going to talk about whatever the season in it that I'm in right now. 
I'm not really sure. But it is what it is, right? And um, when I was contemplating hitting the record button, if I was going to journal privately or publicly, I decided to do this publicly. So it must be something that I need from the public tension. Um, I must need something. There's something I get when I do these reflections publicly. There's something I get for me. And um, I'm, that's probably why I'm doing it publicly. I don't know. <laughs> so, anywho. All right, you guys. If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal. I've already said that where I am processing my inner and my outer worlds. Um, I'm quite theoretical. But the two theories that drive this project the most consciously or, let me not say consciously, explicitly would be uh, out of the personality genre, personality theory genre, and that is, so I use Myers-Briggs based on Carl Jung's work with cognitive functions. In that system, I'm an INTJ. And then I use the Enneagram, and I don't know what the origin of that is. I don't know if anyone knows. Then that bothers me, by the way. I mean, there there are different schools of thought on it, and it bothers me that we can't, like, pinpoint it exactly, the origin. If you feel like you know the origin, then help me out and send me that information. But from my readings, it's speculative. Okay, but anyway, in that system... I'm a type eight. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ eight. One being my cognitive orientation, the other being my emotional orientation. And that really kind of, I've been thinking a lot this week about those two systems in the training that I went through. When you talk about the different parts of the brain and that old brain, which came up in the book last night that I was listening to. And it's that old brain that happens, that's automated beyond our thinking. So my old brain is tethered to a type 8, if you will. And I want to say my consciousness, my thinking orientation is definitely Myers-Briggs. Although I listened to some content this week from the husband and wife team that I like listening to. And um, they were, they don't, they usually focus their work around cognitive functions in the four functions that we're, you know, that we are more, we're proficient in. That's the Myers Briggs four, the top four. But they were, they, dabbled into the lower four functions and they called it the shadow functions and I knew that was called the shadow function but it was a young lady I met a few years ago and she said that shadow functions are something else I don't know and maybe I have it wrong but we're going to call it the shadow functions and that's the lower so if there are eight cognitive functions we prefer four and then there are four that we don't use and I'm calling that the shadow function. 
Now I've been interested, and this is why I hit the why I listened to that content. I haven't listened to all of it. And it wasn't as um, captivating for me as I'm used to their content being, but it could be a season I'm in. I'm in a, I'm in a particular season right now. And so it may have not have anything to do with them. But, um, so I haven't listened to all of it yet. Um, but I haven't particularly interested in those, those four functions that we don't, um, that we don't prefer, I guess. Because I know that I, I can access them. Now, I have given myself permission to talk about the top six. I've been doing that over the past year. So I have the top, the four that I prefer is an INTJ, N-I-T-E-F-I-S-E, fine. I know that I can go down into the uh, function five, function six, cognitive function, the fifth function and the sixth function, which for me would be extroverted intuition and introverted thinking. I know I can do that easily I don't live there though but I can easily access it but when you get to those bottom two functions for me I begrudge those extroverted feeling and introverted sensing I begrudge them so <laughs> I do I just they 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 I find them to be annoying functions <laughs> and only because they, they rub up against my preferred functions in a way that I don't want to be, I don't want them to. So that's why. So those functions on somebody else, fine. But what those functions do for my preferred functions is problematic. So I don't, I begrudge them. Okay. So I was really interested in um, the content because it was going to talk about those lower functions and it was good to hear because I believe I can access them even the ones that I don't want to access I can access I really want to think about I really want to think about extroverted feeling though for me because I'm trying to figure out at what point is extroverted extroverted feeling beneficial that's not true I know you know what it just hit me when I'm teaching in a classroom or when I'm running a school, I, I do access that function. I guess if I'm understanding that function correctly. I do access that function. I can get the temperature of the room. I can feel I can feel the pulse of the room. That is the time I enjoy using it. But I don't, I always, I feel like I can make a case for that being FI, introverted feeling, and not extroverted feeling. Because to me... Extroverted feeling is not just about feeling the room. It's doing something with the room. Now, yes, I will. I can feel the room, and then I will do something with the room. But I'm going to do something with it through extroverted thinking. I'm not going to use my feelings to do anything with that room. So I'm confused. I don't know. I don't know how I'm used. I do not know how I use extroverted feeling. I know how I can use the other two functions from that's the, I even think I know how to use extroverted excuse me, introverted sensing. Introverted sensing is a haunting. I always call it the haunting. And and I guess 
based on this um, episode content I took in this week, which was based on I don't want to say his name wrong. Somebody else's work. Is it BB? I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, they call it the evil function. The demon function. I said the evil. The demon function. And I call it the haunting. I call it SI a haunting for me. Because I know when it's happening. And for me, I've been, I feel like my, I'm, this is where I'm in a, a season. Of course, I'm in a season of grief, right? We already know that. Um, if you don't know that, I lost my dad. And I know I'm in my disclaimers right now. I've just I've fallen into a rabbit hole. But with the passing of my father in September, I know I'm in a season of grief. Okay, fine. Then we're, in, we're coming into the winter, and the days are dark, and it's cold. And, and, <laughs> and I'm missing my grandmother. I said this already this week. And I'm missing days gone by. I'm really, I'm not just missing it. I'm grieving days gone by. For me, that feels like SI. And it's not just the fact that I am missing the SI. Excuse me, I'm missing those people. It's the grief I feel. I don't know if I feel angry about it. Those That time I can't access, I'll never I'll never be able to access that time again in my lifetime. I'll never be able to access that. And so it's a loss. It feels like it's a loss. There's sorrow there. There's anger there, right? And I'm like, what is that going to do for me? So that feels like a haunting. I'm going to call it the the haunting feeling. I've called SI haunting before, like a few years ago, I started calling it an SI haunting. And that's where I am, like, stuck. Like, there's something about the past that's got a grip on me. But I'm not celebrating it. You know, it's not like I'm trying to recreate the past. I'm not trying to live in it. And I think that's what feels problematic. So I don't know. I don't know. This is not my wheelhouse. I don't know anything about those. I've not studied those functions in terms of their purpose in the shadow. Anyway, the only reason why I brought that up (laughs) this morning um, is because uh, that content from that husband and wife team, they said something that was intriguing to me. They said that the, and I've heard them say this, Okay, nope, nope, nope. Okay, so they said something to the effect of your ego work, E-G-O, is located in the shadow functions. That's intriguing to me. I'm interested in the the ego, I am, for a couple of different reasons. And so that caught my attention. Mm. And how I understand ego work is that's that core stuff. That's that core stuff that's not shiny. It's not shiny. We don't present it. We don't really want to roll around in it. It's just not the part of us that we want to connect to, but it's a part of us that exists all the same. And because it exists and because we don't want to connect to it, it isn't giving proper attention. And um, 
and it could be causing us to not show up in the world in our best selves. Now that's that's the way I would that's the way I'm taking it in. I could be completely off. So anyway, because I want to get back to my disclaimers and because I feel like I'm about to, I'm already in my reflection. This is I feel like I'm already knocking my knocking on the doors to the real reflection that I want to do. So, um, so they, the content that I heard this week, basically they're saying that those shadow functions, those cognitive functions, those four that we don't prefer really is ego work. And I've also heard them say that the Enneagram allows you to do ego work. And I also feel that the ego, excuse me, the Enneagram, listen, I I have a few episodes, go back to season one, actually, where I call it the uglies. The Enneagram will show you your ugly. And I think that you are really in a good place when you can confront your ugly, when you can confront it and then you can say to the world, look at this is my ugly, y'all, check it out. I really think that that's a place of strength and maturity and growth. So when they said that that those shadow functions are like, that's where you do your ego work. It just made me think curious about my uglies. Like what ugliness do I have located down there that I'm not attending to? All right. I said all of that. Because, and I want to, I hope I can come back to this point of the uglies and the shadow work. Because I feel like this does really connect to the training I had this week on trauma. And the book that I struggled with last night. That I've not struggled with before. But I brought that up because I have been really working on pairing these two systems together. And for the most part, I feel like I've made a pairing. I've created a framework where they come together. And I'm hesitant to share that because I want credit for it. (laughs) I just do. I've been thinking about knowing for knowers who will know it and they don't need credit for knowing versus knowers who know and who want credit for knowing. I'm a knower that wants credit for knowing. Um... And often I don't want, I don't really want credit for just knowing. I want credit for being able to do something with what I know. So that's, I can open that up. But I've been thinking about that. But anywho, so I've, I've created, for the most part, I really do, I've, I feel like I've created a, a system that puts these, puts these two systems together and, and into a, like a larger system. So the Enneagram and the Myers-Briggs, I have found a way to pair them together. I felt really good about it. And then I listened to the content this week. And I was like, ooh. There's a different way to bring those two together. And I want to share that with you. And I just don't want... Because I want credit for it. (laughs) You know what I'll do? I'm going to share this. I'm going to... Hopefully next year I want to start going and doing interviews. And just doing more with this project. And let's see, I'll, I'll share it then. But, so I have two ways to bring those together. And if I, if I work really hard, they probably are the same. 
Anyway, 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 anyway. So let's get back to my disclaimers. If you're new to this project, that's what I do. <laughs> that's why I identify as being an INTJ eight. I push those two systems together for thinking purposes, mainly, mainly for thinking purposes. But I have enjoyed over the past year using those two systems as an identity marker identifying as an INTJ8, even though it's problematic, I have found value in that. And, and the short end of it is I talk about it a lot. So go back and listen to other episodes where I make a case for, um, I check out the episode called identification. That's when I make a case for, um, using it as an identity. And I know I have a, another, a follow-up to do. I do know I have to give you guys this follow-up, this work I want to do on the self. Maybe I'll try to do it this weekend. Pray. But anywho, um, so I identify as an INTJ8. It's really working for me because of the next identity that I hold as an African American woman. That's an identity I didn't choose. That's an identity that the world gave me. Now, I could reject it. I've entertained rejecting it. But because I don't have a problem with being a black woman, the only problem that I have with it is that someone has give, told me that was that they've given me that label and I have to identify with it. So it's a power issue. I don't have a problem with being a black woman. I just don't like that the world has told me I'm a, that this is who you are. And not only the fact that the world tells me, I'm a black woman, but what it means to be a black woman, that's the problem that I have with it. So saying I'm an INTJ8 is just a really good, it's just a good, I want to call it a pressure wash against this other identity. It's really a label. It's a label turned into an identity because there's a difference between a label and identity. And what does it even mean? The world tells me what it means, but no. And the INTJ8 identity allows me to scrub what the world says I should be and make me, you know what I mean? Like gives me permission to take that on and own it for myself. And that's just the way I'm doing it. I'm doing it that way, y'all. Now, I'm not just an INTJ8 or an African American woman. I also identify as be, as coming from a lower socioeconomic um, background and from intergenerational trauma. And those two additional identities I just picked up through this project in season two. And it really works for me. And let me tell you why it works for me. Because I'm in an I'm in an environment. That wants to sanitize trauma. Okay, I understand why. I'm in a world that wants to sanitize being low income. I understand why too. But there is a power in that for me. When I stand up boldly and I say, I'm from intergenerational trauma and from a lower socioeconomic background. In a world that wants to erase that, there's power there for me. I love it. I love it so much, y'all. I really do. I can't explain to you what kind of joy it gives me. <sighs> because
Because it's like, I'm not going to be ashamed of it. Because that's really what happens when you come from trauma. It's a shaming effect. You guys, go listen to the episodes that I did around March. It was an episode I was so, I was haunted. I had an experience. I cannot think of the name of it. I had an experience. It was haunting. I had such a hard time talking about it out loud. I felt so much shame talking about it out loud. Oh, it was just so hard for me. It was such a breakthrough. I'm so glad I did it. I'm so glad I released that episode. I haven't been the same. Yeah, anyways, I took my power back. I took power back when I released that episode. So anyway, that's kind of what it does. It's like it takes the power back. It takes the, the power out of the hands of other people and say, yo, I didn't ask to come from intergenerational trauma. I didn't create that trauma. Now, what I do with it and how I treat the next generation, that's on me. But I didn't ask to be born into this trauma. But denying that the trauma exists doesn't make it go away. It makes it worse. Denying it? Is repressing it. Oh my God. And the research that I was reading about. What happens when that trauma is repressed. And it gets locked into the psyche. Oh my God y'all. And I have work still to do. And there's some work that I'm not yet ready to say out loud. I got a couple of areas that I'm not ready to say out loud to be honest. I mean let me say it differently. I could say it out loud. I don't want to do it in the recording. Because when I say it I want to know. I want to look at the people. I want to look in the faces of the people I'm saying it to. <laughs> um, so anyway, all of those identity markers for me tells the world I was going to say the sum of my parts, but they're not they're the parts of me. And as I walk to be, that's what the book said last night. Oh, I have to go back and find that. He talked about the parts to the whole. You know what, you guys, I am in a frequency because the book said it and the sermon said it in different ways. We are parts to a whole. That's exactly what both of those, those that content did for me yesterday. The sermon said, we're walking around identifying with parts. And there's only, now the sermon, of course, this was a sermon. So the sermon said, the only one thing that's going to give you the whole, and that's God. The only one thing that's going to allow you to be whole, and that's God. Everything else, you're going to be walking around fragmented. I can dig that. I can dig that, even though I'm not religious. I can dig it. And then a book last night said... That in the first, okay, I'm going to tell you the book because I can't, once I tell you the, what the book said, you're going to know the title of the book. The book is taught, titled Falling Upward. I'm, I talk about it. I've talked about it before. By Father Richard Roy, Father Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan priest, priest. So both of these 
So, yeah. And I don't think I got that book because he was a religious man, a spiritual man. Just a really good book. Talks about two halves of lives. What we, the first half of life versus the second half of life. And I've said before, it's not, it, is, it is chronological, but it doesn't mean like, oh, once you hit 50, then you go into the second half of life. Some people hit the second half of life early on in life. And basically, the first half of life is ego work. It's the ego piece. And then the second half of life is when you're no longer trying to define who you are. You're no longer fighting for who you are. It's when you are able to be, which connects to the trauma training that I had this week. Because the last, there are seven components to that training. And remember, I'm being, I was trained to be a trainer. So my, the training I had this week was about going to train other people on trauma sensitivity. And the last component, or the second to last component of that training is on being. Ultimately, when people have been traumatized, childhood trauma, they've been disconnected from their ability to be. And I've written poems about this. So interesting how the spirit, like I feel like a part, I, I believe, I believe I could take that training the seven components, I should do this, the seven components to that training and find a poem that I've written that would match each of those elements. Each of those components of the training I've written a poem about. I guarantee it. And I think that that means that intuitively, spiritually, that I've been going through my own trauma work, trauma healing work, which is why I can get in this, which is why I was able to get to this podcast, number two, and say I am from intergenerational trauma, even though when I first started saying it, it was very uncomfortable for me to say it. There was shame attached to it. And now, not only do I not have any shame, like I say it at the end, like, yo, I'm from, I'm an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background, and I'm from intergenerational trauma. Boom. Not only do I do that. I now say it out loud in my real life. I don't know if my family have heard me say it. That's going to be the next milestone. I'm pretty sure they're not going to like it. It's okay. That's my story. You tell your story. I'm going to tell my story. But um, so I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm healing. And I believe that that healing work didn't start this week with this training. Didn't start with this podcast. I believe that. I just have been on a journey. Just been on a journey for healing. I have some more work to do. I really do. But I'm better than I was. I'm not who I used to be. So anyway. (laughs) Anyway, the book is called Falling Upward. And I'm really into the reflection. But let me finish these disclaimers. So, INTJ8, African-American woman, lower socioeconomic background, intergenerational trauma. And the last identity piece is I'm a critical race feminist. That really defines my politics. Not capital P politics, as in Democrat or Republican or Independent. But lowercase p politics, as in interpersonal dynamics. 
and how I inter- how do I interact with people? How do I experience people? How do I understand people? How do I see people? Now, does that carry over into capital P politics? Yeah, it does. But it starts at the lowercase p. Yeah. So... Basically, that just means that I am locating power. And I don't even do it consciously. I mean, sometimes I think do it consciously, but most of that time it's unconscious. It's just it's just the frame I understand the world. I just see the world as inter- Okay, sorry about that. I had to, put the, to push the pause button because something was going on with my oldest dog. And then my youngest dog, and we were all, like, trying to take care of her. I'm like, what is going on? Okay. So I'm a little distracted because, okay, I think she's, she's okay. I think she's sneezing. That's what's going on. But, um, where did I leave off? So it's just the, the, the way I see the world, um, especially as relating to these social categories that we have assigned as relating to gender, race, class, sexuality, able-bodiedness, those are your religion, all the social institutions I see as institutions of power, power maintenance, power maintenance, not power dis- redistribution, not power developing. Development, but power maintenance. But anyway, that's podcast. That's what I do in podcast number two. You, that's where the critical race feminist in me is on full display, turning cartwheels. <laughs> yeah, and I've been mapping out uh, episodes for that project, so it's going to be really important for the thing that I'm masterminding for me to start. Um, just getting back to giving that podcast more attention so so you better enjoy these reflections right now because i don't know how that's going to impact my frequency but anywho um i'm sorry you guys um yeah so that's the last identity critical race feminist and that's so funny because i've been identifying as a critical race feminist i think 2017 is when I did an episode on podcast number one about it. Because I was introduced to it by one of my guests. And I was like, oh, I like it. Because prior to that, I was like, oh, I'm a critical pedagogue. I'm a critical race theorist. Like I had all of these. I'm a feminist. I'm a critical feminist. I'm not just a feminist. I'm a critical feminist. There's a difference between the two. My God, there's a difference between the two. And... uh and when this lady told me, when she said critical race feminist, I was like, aha! Like all of those concepts just merge together neatly. So it's just perfect. <laughs> so it's really a, a, a combination, a, a conglomerate, I think that's the word, of all of these theories that I I am in love with. <laughs> so anyway, 
You guys, this podcast is unedited. It's unscripted. If you didn't know that by now, you should, I mean, you really should know that by now by how I hit the pause button and I randomly started talking about my dogs. You can also hear me pausing and just, I'm reflecting and this is real. I don't edit those pauses out. I don't edit out noise and I might have a list of thoughts that I might want to share with you, but this project is not scripted. It's not, there's no storyline and I, and it's not linear, which was, that was another thing that was really difficult for me when I first started this project. Like, I want to say, I'm, I was talking to somebody about being a linear thinker. I was like, I'm an abstract. I told them, I said, I'm an abstract thinker. And they were like, this person was like, well, I'm linear. And I'm like, what the hell you are? Because <laughs> a part of me, I don't know if it was a competitor. I was something that was annoying because she was the trainer. And never did she give us an objective for each day. We went through four days of training. She didn't map out the week. This is where we're going. Each day she didn't say this is where we are as a connected, as connected to where we're going. She didn't do a recap to say, okay, this is how we arrived at where we said we were going. None of that. And for me, that's the linear part. If, if I'm in a training, then I'm going to tell you where we're going, what we're doing. Then when we get there, I'm going to come back and say, this is where we hit. This is where we were. And that is how I like to show up. Like, that's how I show up in podcast number one. But there is this part of me, the hidden part of me, the dominant part of me, that's not linear. It's not even circular. It's rhizomatic. I've talked about that before. I used to say that all, all the time in my my disclaimers, didn't I? I'm rhizomatic. I haven't said that in a while. And, uh, but I am. But when I'm in the world, in the world, I'm linear, except through this project. This is the first time. And it was hard at first. It was hard. It was like, and now I'm just like, it is what it is. There's so much liberation that has come through this project for me. I tell you all, go and get a podcast. I'm telling you, it will be life-changing for you. Do it. Don't, don't even plan it. And I know I'm talking, listen, and I planned my first one to it. I planned my first podcast for like two years, maybe three. And this podcast, I had been thinking about it. I would like to say I didn't plan it. I had been thinking about it. I've been thinking about doing a podcast where I was freestyling it. But I could not give myself permission to do it. And then there was an INTJ I heard on a podcast rambling, saying, offering her ramblings. I'm like, shit, if she can do it, I'm doing it. <laughs> and the rest is history. So anyway, you guys, if you want to know more about this project, go to my website, <laughs> yournidom.wordpress.com. I'm laughing because we're 40 minutes in almost, and the episode is almost over. But here's what I'll say. I have talked about ego work, and I have talked about the book, and I've talked about the sermon, and I've talked about the trauma, and these are the things that I wanted to talk about. And I just found a way to integrate them into integrate them into my disclaimers. All right, that'd be cool if I could do that more. But anyway, so I'm going to spend the last few minutes um, making some of this explicit if I can. I don't know. Let me try to talk about my feelings. 
want to talk about why that book was so difficult last night. I don't know for sure. I'm only going to just, let's just try to guess. So, um, when I first read the book, I was in my relationship. I was just coming off of doing my dissertation. I wasn't working full time. I was trying to, and I was, I was in the place of trying to calibrate my business model and get that going. So I was, I finished the PhD program and I needed to get back into the business. And based on what I learned through the PhD, I had to, there was a lot of calibrating I had to do for my business, the thing that I had been masterminding. Okay. And then I was, you know, the relationship was starting to come to an end. And so I was dealing with that, you know, who am I? Why am I holding on? I am so glad I do. I just, oh my God, I just, I'm glad I'm out of that. <laughs> Cause I didn't, there was a time I didn't know if I could ever, I didn't know how I was going to get out of it. But anyway, um, and that book was like, it was awesome. I was going to say life changing, but it was awesome. It was, um, because I knew I was no longer functioning as the person I was when I was in these, you know, in the full-time job and, Doing the and I, I knew I wasn't that person anymore. I was more. It was kind of like I was functioning above that. The the job and the the world felt felt very artificial for me, and this book kind of gave me a framework to understand that sensation. Because I was no longer of the world. There's a scripture that talks about be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be of the world. Wait, do not. Be not of the world. Be transformed. Go find you Bible people. You know it. Because I'm sure I'm butchering it, right? But be transformed. Do not be of the world. Okay, that's how I felt. So that book was just like affirming me. I enjoyed it. It helped. It made sense. It also helped me to understand. It talked. There's a part about going, like leaving home and then coming back home, which is interesting. And he uses the the Odyssey, Omer and the Odyssey. I don't. I haven't read that book. I've I've heard many people talking about it. I need to go read the story. I think I have. I think I have that story. I'm going to go pick it up when I'm done with this. Reflection, because then I can give you the title, because I'm sure I'm not saying the words correctly. Dang it. So the sensation that in order to become your better self, you have to leave home. Now, I don't know if he was talking, I don't know if he was just talking about geographically leaving home. But you've got to leave that thing that defined you, that created you. You have to leave it. You have to go out in the world, but here's the thing. When you go out in the world to experience more, to be able to really create your own self, you then return home. I wasn't in my home state at the time I took this book. So I remember thinking, am I supposed to go home? Does he mean that literally? (laughs) But here I am, back home. (laughs) 
So that was what I was going through when I first read the book. It was quite affirming. I felt like I was not of the world. I was not, I was like over the world, worldly standards. Um, I was under, I, I was also at a place where I, I felt like the world I came from was a very painful place. This is before I even understood the trauma part of me. So I just knew it. I like it. I didn't have the language, but I just had this, I intuitively knew what this book was telling me. The book was just giving me words. I intuitively knew it. And so it was quite refreshing. It was affirming. It was validating. The book was good. And then I picked the book up again. I came home in 2017. I didn't know I was coming home, but that go listen to other stories, episodes. I'm not going to explain that now. 2018 was when I was the brokest I've ever been. I was living off of $400 a month. And I'm not exaggerating. And out of that $400, I had to take care of me, my dogs. I had to make sure we could eat. There were times I parked my car because I didn't have, I couldn't afford gas money. There was one time I had brake issues. I felt like everything that could go wrong with the car happened while I was trying to make it off of $400 a month. I've been very public about that. And, um, but you guys, you know what? I, I think about 2018 and I, I feel like it was the happiest. I wasn't plugged in. I had, um, and then towards the, I actually, yeah, I was plugged in. I had a part-time job that was, um, it was um it was uncomfortable. I was teaching graduate school. It was uncomfortable because I go back. There's an episode I did on FE. It was an episode I did in August, I think. I think August or September, where I'm talking about working in predominantly white spaces. And this is a different kind of predominantly white spaces. This is a predominantly white female space predominantly white affluent female space <laughs> let me just be clear it was the first time I'd ever experienced that that was difficult but that was part-time I mean really really part-time and uh where most of that was me correcting papers and doing lesson plans so there was only a small pocket at that time where I had to be in the room with the women right so the other time I was correcting papers or meeting with my students one-on-one and then I was working on my business and I was trying to figure out how to eat and live off of $400 a month. And I was my happiest. I was the happiest. I was the healthiest in terms of not doing, in you know, indulging in vices or, you know, numbing out. I was the healthiest. Okay. I listened to that book then. And I listened to that book. It helped me to Think about this idea of returning home. That's why I listened to it. Okay. I picked this book up last night. And I'm in the, I did the, the introduction in the chapters one and my body was like throbbing. I literally was having a visceral reaction. I don't know if it's because I haven't reckoned. There are two things I haven't reconciled. 
first of all, I'm back in a in 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 an, in a work setting that I can't control. Now, when I'm controlling the workspace, I can make it, for the most part, safe. I can it I can intj the whole structure organizationally because that's my background. I can build an organization. I can revise an org. I can do it. I can't do that now. I'm tr- I'm trying to I'm trying my damnedest. And for the most part, I have created a work life. That's, so I have a counterpart. We have the exact same job. And I don't really want to meet with her as much as I was meeting with her. And she said, I want to meet with you because you're the only one out of this entire district that has my job. You're the only one who, who's going to get it. And she's right. But how I've, how I've um, engineered that job is different from how she is. Oh, I guess she engineered it. I think she's just experiencing it. She's letting other people define that job. And I won't. And they've tried. So now I've got the attention of the superintendent. And he's he. I just got an email from him on Wednesday. He wants me to be on a committee. <laughs> and I'm laughing because it's so small. It was such, and it was a very short email. Maybe all of six words. And uh, so small, so small. A censor might look at that and go, oh, that's not a big deal. I'm rolling that out. I'm five steps ahead with that email and what being on this committee is going to mean and the precedence that it's going to set when he just drops in and says, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. And he technically has a right to do that. He's the boss. <laughs> I mean, he is the boss, right? He's the boss of my boss of my boss's boss of my boss's, you know. So for him to drop into my email box and say, I think you should be on this committee. You know, some people were like, oh, you should be flattered. Am? Should I be? <laughs> I don't know. My ego doesn't work that way. Like, I, if I was ego-driven, I would be like, yeah, I caught his attention. I don't see that. This is what I see. Oh crap. <laughs> I'm on his radar. I don't want my position. I've been really working hard to define my job. I don't want somebody and I I've, I've had some powerful people trying to control my uh engineering of that position and I've been able to push back. This is the top dog and like so that's all I'm thinking about is how is he how am I going to keep him from messing up this job that I've engineered? <laughs> So I'm laughing now because, and he's good. He is, he's powerful. He's charismatic. He's smart. And, uh, and I think he has a, a, a healthy dose of narcissism happening and I have a healthy dose of it. So all I can do is chuckle. All I can do is chuckle and go, mm-hmm, let's see how this is going to roll out. I haven't, I haven't responded to his email at all. I'm probably going to do it. I'm probably going to do it, but with my eyes wide open about the precedence that I'm setting. But anywho, so anyway, I'm, I'm good at like, I'm real here, and this is the point. I don't have ultimate control 
to carve out my work, to, to, to create my work experience the way I want. Because if I, I, because I want organizational control. That's the truth. I do. I want organizational control. And I don't have it. And I respect the people who do have it because I know what it's like to be in that position. Right? I respect it. I say all of that to say, here's why I want organizational control. One reason is because number for efficiency, right? I think we can do things better, right? And I'm a I'm a person that understands the role of culture, organizational cl- climate, organizational organizational climate, organizational culture, how it impacts production, right? Now that might be where my extroverted feeling maybe I don't know. I still feel like that's a te thing, extroverted thinking. I don't know, but. So I'm in a, I'm in a world where I can't completely con- control the the my production as relating to the climate. I'm, and then the organization. And it's not just the organization I work for, but just the working culture in our country, in our in our in our in, our, in, our, in America. I don't know what it's like in other places because I've not been there. I've only been in the United States. I've not even traveled abroad. I know, judge me, fine. I know that my SE reality is limited because I've never left the States. I fully understand that and respect that argument. That's why I'm very honest. I've never left the States. So my SE reality is limited. And as a result, my NI-ness, introverted intuition, is, is, is limited. But... I have been places that other people haven't been places in terms of being in the United States. There are still SE experiences that I can experience. Um, there's still territory to cover. So even people who've traveled abroad and I haven't, there are some domestic experiences, if you will, that they haven't had. So but you take your SE self I mean, you, and, and experience land overseas and then you come back and tell me about it so I can learn through you and then I'm gonna I'm gonna go into the the crevices and the cracks in this territory and then report out to you what I see okay all right it takes all kinds to make the world go round so I think in the United States the working culture is um I think it is narcissistic because of capitalism and patriarchy Right, I think those two systems coming together to define work, it, it can create a narcissistic culture. And then we'll, what do we learn when we study narcissistic family structures? There are different roles that are at play. I think that those roles are at play in a narcissistic work environment. Right? So I'm back in that world. And because I'm a TE user... Not dominant, but auxiliary. And I'm a type 8. There's no way that I'm going to be at the bottom of that heart, that system. Even if my position is not at the top, I have other ways. That, that's one of the things. That's one of the ways I leverage my PhD. Because it situates me with other PhD holders. And I don't think that there is any PhD holder in my organization this at the they're all at levels higher than me in the organization and i love it i love it 
I, that's a just juxtaposition. That's a tension that I enjoy experiencing. Because there's this automatic assumption. PhD holder means you have a seat at this table. Only the PhD holders have a seat at this table. But in addition to being a PhD holders, these people are principals and district leaders. So I qualify to be at that table because of my PhD, but I'm not a I'm not a I don't have a positional power. I don't have I don't have positional power. What are you going to do with me? <laughs> because here's the other piece. I have the knowledge that you want. You you want me at that table. You want me on that committee, don't you? You want me on that committee, don't you? Uh-huh. There's the ego part of me coming out. But uh, what is what power is that going to give me? I'm a I'm a type eight, y'all. Just so you know, some of you are like, "Ooh, that's gross." I'm a type eight. Just deal with it, okay? <laughs> so um, anyway, just going back to the book and the, the, the how I struggled last night is that I was um, I felt gross. I felt like there were things that I, uh, uh, it was a level of being spiritually in 2016 and then to it 2018. In both of those places, I was in dark spaces. I was struggling with the relationship. I was struggling financially. In 2016, I was struggling with the relationship. 2018, I was struggling financially. But I was spiritually optimal, optimized. Am I saying that? I was at an optimum spiritual, optimal, optimal spiritual place. I was good, you guys. Spiritually good. Now I'm not in that relationship. I'm not in any relationship that's hurting me. I'm structurally okay. And spiritually, I'm not. What is that? All right, and then the second thing, and I'm going to close here because I have more to say, but I, I'm, I don't, I'll just, I can just keep talking. The pandemic, and I think I said this this week already because I've recorded a lot of episodes, so forgive me. The pandemic and then my father put me back in proximity to my family. And it was so good, it was so good when I was away to love my family, because I love my family a lot, to love my family, but not have to be in the throes of interacting with them the way they want to interact, and to play the part that they've delegated me to. They've relegated me to a certain role in that environment. I don't want to be at that table. They won't give me access to a different table. I'm no longer going to ask for that. I had an exchange with one of my aunts this weekend. This week, we had a text exchange, and I was so proud of how I handled that exchange differently than I would have handled that a few years ago. That's growth. I even had a slight exchange with my mother. I'm, it is not where I want to be, but I'm I'm in route. So I know that ultimately it's growth. I feel like I've been growing. I feel like there's growth. But the, when I was reading the book, I, it just reminded me, I feel like I've regressed. 
it feels like regression. And that's hard. Because I, I don't know what the lesson is. I have no idea what the lesson is for me spiritually. Can I be my spiritually... What do I have to do to be... What? I don't want to be a monk. I don't want to make a... I don't want to live a life of poverty. So the only thing I can think of is to really... This is kind of what I thought last night. Like as much as I'm wrestling between the job and the business, right? Because I do. I, I mean... the I don't, There's a rest. I'm struggling. There's a part of me that's like... Just stay in the job until you retire. And then you go off into the business. Create the business. Let other people work it. Let other people work in that business. You stay in your job. And then when you retire... You you go and be in a, in your in your business full time. I think that's what I want to do. <laughs> if I want to be my spirit, what if I want to be my spirit, spiritually best self, spiritual, spiritually optimized? I guess I can't be in someone else's structure. And I don't know. And boy, that structure, somebody else's structure, it comes with a lot of <sighs> enticements, if you will. That's how, That's the only way they can get you to stay and do the tomfoolery and the job. They give you all of these enticements. And there's a young lady I mentioned her earlier today in this episode, rather. I'm going to reference her again because I, when I first took the job, three years ago or when I first went back into the job when I went back into employment three years ago well it's been two years now and she said well we're in a third year so two years ago it was 2019 and I said and, I'm, and I sat there through the tr- like signing all my paperwork and, and learning all of the benefits and I came home and I said I'm very nervous about these benefits these benefits are enticing and I don't want to get distracted by these benefits because then I'm not going to go back to my benefit. My business doesn't offer these benefits right now. And she said, don't worry. Who you are will prevail. Who you are will prevail. And I've been holding on to that. But I've also been fighting like, ooh, can I be that? <laughs> what if can I be who I am in this place where these benefits? Like I've been struggling with it. Who you are will prevail. So anyway, and that book last night just told me I'm not prevailing. I'm not optimized. It was it just it just made me feel like I'm back. It made me feel like I'm back in the first half of life. I'm functioning in the first half of life. Ego work, that's the where you're doing the ego work. I'm not connected to the whole. I'm in the parts of myself, and I'm not happy about it. I've worked really hard to grow and to blossom. I don't want to fall back into the first half of life being. And we know that there's no straight line. Like I talk about being linear. There's no straight line to growth. There's It's squiggly. We move forward. We go back. We, right? And so the husband and wife team that I referenced, they talked, they did an episode on the grave, what's called the Graves model, and it's a or spiral dynamics. Sometimes you loop down, you go back to come up to go up. So maybe that's what's happening. Maybe I've looped downward 
but I'm not going to stay there. Who I am will prevail. I want to be spiritually optimized. So anyway, that's the reflection. I'm glad I were. I'm glad I did it because I think this is this is good for me at least. It's good for me. Don't know about it if it was for you, but it was good because I think that's that's. And I'm gonna go back and try to listen, listen to the rest of the book, <laughs> even though it really was. I really was struggling last night. It was really difficult. So it's cold where I am. Yesterday I stopped after work and I bought ingredients for chili. So it is now almost 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to go and start making my chili. Because it's a process. And get the house feeling cozy with some chili, you know, the aroma. See that Essie? I'm going to indulge in some Essie sensations. And um, you guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. Is this conversation about first half... Mm -mm, like the dipping, it's like a dipping. Uh, I dipped into the second half. I dipped in. I dipped into the second half of life. I had a mountaintop experience. Okay, it's coming to me. God allowed me to see what second half of life living is for me. Oh my God, this is the breakthrough. Oh God, this is the breakthrough. God allowed me to see what the second half of life living is. That's when Moses went to the mount. <laughs> I know you guys, those of you who are religious, and you're like, you always say you're not religious, but you're always referencing the Bible, right? Okay. When Moses went to the mountaintop to hear from God, and he had to go back down to the people to do the work. I've, I've, I've talked about having mountaintop experiences before. Because it's euphoric. It feels so good. And then you have to go and do the work. And maybe 2016 and 2018 gave me a peek into second half of life. But I wasn't really walking into it. Maybe that was just a peek. And I had to come back into the first half of life to take care of some things. To do some more ego work. Oh, I'm gonna, I am... I'm having an F.I. sensation right now. Oh, my God. This is a good breakthrough. You guys aren't on. You're not on the inside of me. So you don't know what I'm experiencing right now. Because, like, look at all that I've learned about trauma. You know, and I, me talking about not having that shame anymore, right? I could. I had to have this time to go into the second half of life. Because I hadn't had that breakthrough yet. So, maybe I'm not done with first half of life. And maybe I'm going to go back and listen to that book to see what work I need to do. And what structures do I need to put in place for the container so I can be in the second half of life. So, um, that's the, that's, that's, that's that. Okay, so let's get back to you now. Okay. So, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about... First half of life, second half of life, ego work. Parts to the whole. If any of this relates to conversations you've had in the world, please take this reflection and share it with those participants. Do a meaningful share. 
only share with people who've had this conversation or related conversations, please. And and then tell them to fast forward to a particular spot. Don't make them listen to the whole thing, okay? Thank you. And if me if my moving about in this reflection generated some randomness in you, I would love to hear it. Please take this. Please find me on my website and share those thoughts. I'd love to hear it. I would love to hear how my thinking, my musings, inspired your musings. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com, okay? Um, yeah, let me give you your homework assignment. One second. I think I'm going to title this episode Ready, Period, Not Ready. Because I thought I was ready, then I realized I wasn't ready, but I want to get ready. So this the, the assignment or the question I'm going to give you is that, what are you ready for but not really ready for? I feel like I've asked something like this before, but okay. We can be on repeat. We can loop back to spiral upward. Sometimes you got to loop back to spiral ahead. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> what are you ready for but not yet ready for? What do you have to do to get ready? To be ready to stay ready? You got to be honest on this one though. This is not a shiny one. Go into that shadow. Go and do that the ugly work. I think this is in the this is located in the uglies. This is an assignment that's going to make you go into the uglies, go into the shadow, however do ego work, however you need to name it. I call it the uglies. Go in there and do it. For this one. What are you ready for but not yet ready? For it. And what do you have to do to get ready? I'm going to take this assignment for myself, y'all, because I feel like I need this one. You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye.